Yeah, that there's something going on to corrupt society, to cause division, to cause the hate, to cause the evil. I don't think it's coincidence. I think it's strategically done. It's strategically orchestrated. Um, the cause of divide. Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we are here to warn the nation and help you respond in faith. And we've got quite a topic today. I want to introduce my guests in just a moment, but we're talking about responding to racism, and it's not going away. This is a big thing. It's been in our nation for a long time, uh, really since the founding of our nation, but really explosive here even in the last year. And so we want to talk about this, a little bit of warning, but especially responding in faith and understanding this issue. So that's what we're doing today. And I just want to remind um, remind everyone that you can find us also on Spotify, SoundCloud, and, um, and Apple Podcasts, as well as right here on the YouTube channel uh, for Runners of America. So here we are at the Insights. I want to introduce my guests and first welcome Gary McCallum. Thank you. It's glad to be here. Yeah. And uh, Gary, just tell us a brief bit about your, your background, like where you grew up, and um, just real briefly tell us who you are. Grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, lived there until my freshman year of college. Then I moved to Southfield, Michigan, spent quite a bit of time there. Um, and then relocated to Mishawaka, Indiana. I've been in Indiana since the year 2000. So 21 years I've been in Indiana. And a lot of people probably aren't familiar with where Mishawaka is. Can you kind of help sure. us with Mishawaka that? is a sister city to South Bend, Indiana. Uh, South Bend, you may know that based on Notre Dame. Yes. Even though I'm not a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> Go Blue. You can say that here in the studio, but well, don't say it out there because there's a lot of Irish fans oh, out oh, there. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah. In Michigan. Wow. Well, Southern Michigan. Southern Michigan. Okay. Yeah, and, and so forth. And then I want to introduce uh, somebody who's familiar to the, uh, the Insights podcast, and that is Eddie Ruiz. And Eddie, welcome. Thank you, David. It's great to be back. And Eddie, just tell us briefly about yourself. Um, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, and uh, in a in a Christian home, and uh, moved away from Michigan in ooh, 1974. Went to Bible school with my wife, and then uh, three years later in El Paso, Texas, and three years later came back to Indiana, uh, and uh, pastored church in Plymouth, Indiana, for a year and a half, and then uh, came to South Bend, Indiana. And I've been there ever since, since 79. And you're both former pastors, is that correct? Correct. Okay, awesome. And I know this is going to sound crazy uh, for everybody watching this on YouTube, but I have to say this for those that are only looking at the, um, or listening, I should say, to the audio podcast. And that is, Eddie, your, um, ethnically, your background is? Uh, I'm a Hispanic. Uh, my parents and my grandparents well, actually, my grandparents were from Mexico, uh, and my parents were born in Texas. And Gary, again, a little crazy <laughs> for the YouTubers, but for sure. those just listening, what's your ethnic background? Uh, ethnic background is black, African-American, 
mm-hmm. whichever one they choose to label me as. And either is, either is okay. <laughs> either is okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I think people know this, but I have a WASP background. I'm white, <laughs> Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, um, even there on the Protestant part of the WASP. So anyway, I, that's that's my background. So. Anyway, let's get rolling here, and I, I do really want to unpack some things and then get to responding in faith on this thing, because I believe that Christian leadership on this issue has never been as important as it is right now. You know, this could really devolve in our culture in a bad way, or it could really be a moment where the church shines as we bring solutions. Yes. Okay, but with that said, I actually want to start with this. It's a little bit on my curiosity, but also it gets us going here on this topic. And that is in uh, 2008, when President Obama was elected, um, I and I think a lot of people in our nation were looking forward to um, that the next four, and it ended up being eight years of his presidency, in light of the glass ceiling's been broken, we have an African-American in the White House, but it seemed like racial tension actually increased during the Obama years, or resurfaced. I don't know if increased is exactly right, because of the ebbs and flows, but certainly um, there seemed to be racial tension. Help us all understand what happened there. Like in the Obama years, like why was there not what I guess I was hoping for anyway, which would be a diffusing of racial tension? I think that his election, a lot, most of the whites voted for him not because of his ethnicity, but because of what they believed in regards to his policies or what they assumed he would do policy-wise. I know personally, as I was in the voting line, there were a number of blacks, African-Americans, were clueless of his policies or what he stood for. It was simply because of his color. And so they were voting because it was our time. Let's get our representation in office. And so you had two different views as to why they wanted to elect him. And when you look at his presidency, there was not a lot geared towards the African-American black community. And so the racial confrontation was still there because of the reasons for why they were putting him in office. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's partially because of it. And when you look at his election, um, a great deal of whites voted for him. Mm-hmm. His second term, less blacks, still more whites. And so uh, to say that it was racially motivated on the whites' part uh, is not my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was because of their policies, what they thought he would bring greater to America, whereas the blacks had a different spin on why they wanted to vote for him. Just real quick, um, I didn't know that. You're saying that second term. The second term. In his uh, election, you had said less blacks voted? Less blacks. Well, there were why, not what, as okay, many. Well, why was that? They were no longer interested. He was already there. So they achieved history. So the first presidential term, it was pretty much about history. 
there were some blacks who did not believe in his policies and what he was going to do, but because of what it represented history-wise, mm-hmm. they voted for him. I, I, I remember listening to a few. Uh, they had their own talk shows and programs, and they were like, I don't agree with his policies, but this is history right here. Mm-hmm. And so their, yeah. their motive for mm-hmm. voting was based on history and not based on policies or what would be done for the country in the future. Mm-hmm. His, um, his uh, theme was hope and change. Yes. And that hope and change uh, really, really gave, re- resonated. Yes, it really did. It, it, and especially the first term, it really resonated. Especially term, in an ethnic minority. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And then when things really didn't change uh, as far as racially, in, in fact, they got uh, more highlighted. Uh, yeah, there was some disappointments. Okay, so um, I've had obviously a lot of uh, friends from different backgrounds, uh, skin colors, so forth, uh, you know, during my life. And, uh, you know, I count a lot of these people great friends. I always got along these kinds of things. Um, um, but sometimes when they told me things that happened to them because they believed it to be their skin color. And I have no question that this is going on. Obviously, it's going on. But sometimes they describe things that actually happen white on white. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I was overlooked for a job, okay? Well, of course, that can be skin color, but almost every white person I know, their white boss overlooked right. them for a job. <laughs> like, it's not all right. racism, but right. I would really like to hear from you guys. Um, do you have examples from your own life? Like, it's not that kind of a thing, but this was really you observing racism in your background. Like, it's not ex- explained away, whatever. I mean, you observed racism, and it could have been yourself personally or a family member or whatever. But, like, help, I just think this is helpful in the white community for us to hear an actual example. Uh, I'll give you an example. And this happened to probably about maybe eight years ago, <clears throat> I went into a balloon store, right, where they sell balloons naturally, um, and uh, there was a lady in front of me, and she purchased her balloon with a credit card, and um, no problem. And so I was going, I, I purchased mine with a credit card, and he said, I, I need some identification, and I looked at him, this woman in front of me... Who I'm assuming was white. Was, yes, she was white. I'm sorry. She was white, uh, paid with a credit card. And so, uh, for some reason, that really... Uh, I was offended. I said, wait. And, I, and I, said, I told him, wait. The woman in front of me paid with a credit card, and you didn't ask her any questions, and now you're asking me for identification? Mm-hmm. What's, what's that about? Mm-hmm. And he gave some mealy response of, well, she had her signature on the back of the, the credit card. I said, oh, yeah. Uh, so at that point, did you go flying over the counter and <laughs> give this white guy a pounding? No. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. I, I, I went back to my original growing up uh, <laughs> perspective. There two, because I was a Christian as, as a young boy, okay, um, I... I understood that there were two classes of people, saved and unsaved. It didn't matter what color they were. Either you're saved or you're unsaved. Either you believe in Christ or you don't, 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I saw, whenever that happened to me, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't put it as racism. I put it as, well, that's how unbelievers, that's how they, they treat people. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I said, they just don't know about Jesus. Okay. And so, uh, it wasn't until I got into college that I began to understand this thing called racism. Okay. Wow. Um, Gary, any thoughts? Wow. Um, I'm probably not, I don't want to say that I'm oblivious or ignorant, but I have not had any issues personally. One incident growing up, but I was too young to even understand that it was racism. I don't have, my my filter isn't racism. And so everything that comes in doesn't get filtered through racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was maybe six or seven. My dad had his own uh, janitorial business. He got a contract to clean. When they would build new apartments, we would clean them. And so I would go with him to work. And so there's this white kid who's noticing that there's another kid. He comes down, and I say, you want to play? He said, I can't. I said, well, why? You got on your good clothes? He said, no, I can't. And I couldn't understand why he couldn't. My uncle had to explain to me that he couldn't because you are black, he's white, he's not allowed to associate with you. And I still wasn't able to comprehend that concept. Mm -hmm. Growing up, having kids, when I moved to Mishawaka, my kids, I have three kids, uh, two of them attended in elementary school where they were the absolute only black kids in the school. Um, Initially, there was no feeling of them being mistreated, uh, but then I had to become aware of what they may encounter by some kids who may have been told, like I was went through when I was growing up, that they may have been taught don't associate with this group of kids or if they're that color. So I had to, I had to inform them because they have no idea about racism at that age. So I had to inform them that there may be some kids that may say some things to you about the color of your skin. My youngest son, uh, when you would ask what color is daddy, he would say brown. What color is this person? They were white. He would say pink. He wouldn't say white because you weren't white to him. You were crayon color. You were pink. Blacks were brown. Mm. And so that was his concept of identifying ethnicities. And so it's not until later on that we learn, oh, you're white or you're black. But there's no country called white and there's no country called black necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't always, I guess I don't always initially take something as racism, I take it sometimes as ignorant, or I take it as unlearned, I take it as not knowing. I don't personally go to racism first, mm-hmm. um, and that's just me individually, uh, and for whatever reason, uh, I, I don't jump to that first. Mm-hmm. It could be ignorant, it could be you unlearned, mm-hmm. it could be you were taught that and don't know the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And it can be like I was highlighting a minute ago, it could be that it's just perceived, Perceived. you know, and so forth. With that said, um, and not 
uh, not wanting to just, you know, stay on certain topics. Yes. I got to ask this too. So obviously there's some real things going on that are in the news every day. Yes. Okay. So May 25th, 2020, George Floyd um, is killed by a white cop. And then more recently here in 2021, we've seen Dante Wright um, yes. uh, uh, killed in a, a situation um, where a, a female white cop, uh, uh, he's shot and killed. Right. And then even more recently than that is the situation in Ohio. Um, help me if I'm not getting the first name right. Is it Makai or Makaya? Uh, Bryant. Right, mm-hmm. right. She's in an altercation with a friend and the cops are there. And she is gunned down, again, by a white cop. Right. Okay. Okay. Obviously, things are going on in every one of those situations. I have things we could talk about over this whole podcast. And, and let's just only bring those kinds of things up if they're pertinent. But what I want to ask you uh, is this. It's more on a macro scale. Is in your opinion, um, while we have real things going on here, how much of what's going on in terms of where this goes, you know, in the public sphere, how much of this is media-driven, and how much, in your opinion, you know, these are really real issues that that need this kind of media coverage and the way the media is doing and all this kind of stuff. Like, what? I just want to hear your thoughts on what's going on with the media, and I want to just help, uh, you know, everyone understand, at least from your opinion, um, you know, this what, what's going on. Like, we're seeing it constantly. I believe it's 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 media driven. If I could go back to the L.A. riots when Rodney King was beaten, the media was showing all of the rioting and the looting done by blacks. But when you looked at the statistics of it, there was another ethnicity that was doing more looting and rioting than the blacks, but they chose to tell the vision, television, of blacks doing it. And so I I, I believe that media does have um, to bear some of the brunt of it when they're only reporting certain aspects of blacks being murdered, but then won't highlight other aspects of blacks being murdered. And so it, it... is um, selective reporting, selective media stories that they will tell or that they will show. Yeah, they they have a certain narrative that uh, if this helps boost the narrative, then they'll they'll, uh, focus on it. But if it doesn't help uh, uh, speak about the narrative, then they will not report it. Black-on-black crime uh, or, or a black policeman... Uh, well, now, now all policemen, whether you're black or white, right. you know, uh, you're. They you're, wanted to fund all police. Yes, yeah. to fund all yeah. police. Yeah. They, they wanted to fund all police until they need the police. You're right. Right. <laughs> we're we're worried. Yeah. yeah. And doing, so, doing a right. horrible job. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you had a black congressman who wanted to have a rally to defund the police. But then she had to have police protection <laughs> right. to talk about defunding the police. And so they wanted to fund it to, a, to the degree that it corrupts uh, society. But yet I still need that 
police protection. Mm. You just said corrupt society. There's actually something intentional going on to corrupt society. My perspective is there's uh, yeah that there's something going on to corrupt society, to cause division, to cause um, the hate, to cause the evil. I don't think it's coincidence. I think it's strategically done. It's strategically orchestrated. Um, the cause of divide, um, to cause separation, to cause hate, to cause one race to be against another race and another race to be against this race. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe part of responding in faith, which we are going to get to today um, more so, uh, responding in faith, part of it is to be discerning. Yes. And using the Word of God to help us in that discernment. But like if we're just drinking in all this that the media is putting out there, this is craziness. And I think that a lot of, uh, there's a significant portion anyway of the body of Christ that is doing this, whether it's uh, white people that are just a- adding to the whole thing by right. you know showing up at, um, whether it's peaceful protests or violent protests, but many of people are white and they're buying this from the media and it's feeding this division, what you're talking about. Or it's in the African-American community or other ethnic communities like that are listening to the media and rising up going, yeah, this is that bad and we need you know this to go on. It's like either way, this thing can get fueled. Um, and yet we want to say there's a real issue where racism needs to be purged from I. I would say from our own hearts first, from within the church first, and that's part of responding in faith. And then as much as the church can influence broader culture, we need to purge races. We're not minimizing that, but there seems like there is something else going on, and it requires a biblical faith, I believe, to respond to it and actually provide leadership. Anyway, go ahead, Eddie. Uh, Dave, um, I heard a phrase that uh, was true when I heard it back in the 90s. Uh, and it might be true today that Sunday morning at 10 o'clock is the most seg- segregated time of the whole of, week. Of the whole week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we're in church. And at that time, the whites were with the whites and blacks were with blacks and Mexicans or Hispanics were with Hispanics. Now, part of that is because we, we just uh, culturally, we just feel more at home with uh, our our brothers and sisters that are brown. Right, because, you know, our backgrounds help us, like, we enjoy a certain kind of music. Right, we enjoy right. a certain kind of yes. preaching. Yes. Some people enjoy a 45-minute to an hour right. service, and yes. some people prefer a t- <laughs> yes. two- to three-hour service. Right. And on, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, it's often along those uh, ethnic lines. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but, but, there, um, but there are um, segments of our society even in the church that um, are not real open to uh, other ethnicities visiting their church. Uh, I'll give an example. Um, I was invited to preach at a church in Michigan. Um, I was home for the weekend in my hometown, and I went to my mother-in-law's church. Uh, she attended a uh, a white church, I'll say it that way. And uh, so I preached, and then after the service, they had a little um, meal, right? And so my son was probably about 11 years old, 10, 11 years old, maybe 12. And the pastor's son 
was it was about that age, okay? And you know how kids are. Uh, they want to be the first in line, and so they were jostling to be who would be first in line. And the pastor didn't know that I was behind him, but the pastor, when he saw his son and my son kind of jostling, josh, jostling in line for who's going to be first, um, he, I heard him say out of his mouth, don't let that spick push you. Mm-hmm. It, 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 Dave, it absolutely stunned me. I was stunned. I, I didn't, I was frozen. I didn't know what to say. And I said, wow. Yeah, right here in the church. Right here in the church. Right in the church. Uh, it, it, it was a church. It wasn't of my denomination, but <laughs> we believed, we, we had similar beliefs and everything. And I'm thinking, yeah. whoa. Yeah, it leaked out in the buffet line right. of all things. So, yeah. <laughs> right. And so uh, that does happen. I'm not saying it, uh, it's, it's prevalent, okay, or, or it's predominant, but it does happen. Right. Okay. So just circling back a little bit, and then and then we're going to just shift here into what the Bible has to say and what advice you guys would have in terms of helping provide leadership in the body of Christ. Um, but I don't believe that leadership should come from Black Lives Matter, and I want to circle back on this. And Gary, it's actually related to a conversation you and I had many months ago. And it was like, you were highlighting to me the situation in Chicago over a weekend, and... Um, in the black-on-black violence. I don't know if you remember, but you I think you threw out a percentage to me of like, yeah, there is white-on-black violence, but there was black-on-black violence. Was I don't know right. if you remember what that percentage was. I don't was. remember the percentage, but I had, I had recently looked up, looked at uh, a statistic, and I think it was between 2017, I, I don't have the right dates, but it was a, a number-year span of police shootings um, 1,685 whites were shot by police. 985 blacks were shot by police. 609 Hispanics were shot by police. And so th- there is, because of media, the concept that more blacks are being shot by police than any other ethnicity. But because the whites being shot by police isn't projected on the television screen, then the vision that they tell you is not always the actual fact that's going on. So, so but here, um, I think it has to do, in that case, with percentages. Because percentages. The, um, Predominantly, it's the white society that, I mean, they're, they're more population, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so naturally, they're going to be shot more. And that, I, I think, okay, I, yeah. I, that's mm-hmm. just my personal opinion. Yeah. Gary, can you give those numbers again? So it was whatever calendar year, but it was fairly recently in the last few years. But anyway, just what, what were those numbers again? Well, I, I believe that the whites that were shot by police was 1,685. Okay. Blacks may have been 985, and I think Hispanics was 609. Okay, so but once you factor in what Eddie just said right. about there's more white people in general, like it's not what you're saying. It's not that off in terms. It's of... It's not that off, but you're not. But you only want to highlight one yeah. ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So what's the motive behind only wanting to highlight one ethnicity getting shot? Why not highlight all the ethnicities that the police are 
shooting or murdering. Mm-hmm. So let it, if is it racial or is it police corruption or mm-hmm. is it a combination of both? Right. If it's a combination of both, highlight also the police corruption mm-hmm. in all of their corrupt shootings and murders. Mm-hmm. And so there's uh, a number of those. It's at least what I've read, it's not just police that are gunning these people down right, for no right. reason. Many times there's something aggravating the situation, right, right. And, and that's what they're trained to do. And I've also seen some pretty powerful uh, information where black police officers killing other blacks. Like, the, I mean, anyway, there's a lot of right, data out right. there, and we're not getting the whole picture, and right. we should be. And um, When the attacks on the Asian community begin to happen. What was not reported was that the initial attacks was from African Americans on Asians. And so it wasn't... And are these citizens or police? Citizens. Um, And so, but what began to be highlighted was the attacks from whites on Asians. And so why highlight an incomplete mm-hmm. story. So there's a narrative here that's clearly being fed, supported, Absolutely. and um, manipulated, manipulated for us. And so and both you guys have said that, and yet racism, racism is real. But I, I just want to tuck in something here quick, as it's, I believe it to be important in light of what is this narrative? Why is it coming forth like this? And um, going back to something we talked about the summer of 2020 in the midst of all the race riots, was the critical race theory is this theory that's being taught in our public universities and even it's cloaked in, as sensitivity right, training, right. whether it's the workplace or it's in the government or whatever. But it's taken our culture by storm and it's only increased um, here in 2021. Well, critical race theory, it's interesting because fundamentally it's a Marxist philosophy. Right. And what they did is they shifted traditional Marxist philosophy from – a uh, a class warfare, meaning the the business owners, landowners, uh, the the bourgeoisie, as, as they say, against the working class, the proletariat. Right. Actually, it's the proletariat rising up under the, the. According to Marx, they realize their plight as the working class, and they overthrow the the wealthier um, class. Well, what they did is they shifted it because in America there's such a huge middle class. There's other factors like you know. Uh, there's just other factors at play where people have done okay, at least financially or whatever. Anyway, it's not working according to Marx's right, right. teaching. So they switched it from class warfare to race warfare. Mm-hmm. And that we're getting the certain narrative seems like it is going to stir things up continuously until we hate each other to the point where the, the, the powder keg blows. There seems to be this narrative that would lead us in in that direction. However, oh, go ahead. Let me stop you right there for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had our president give a, 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 his speech to uh, Congress, and uh, we had a response by a black senator uh, to his speech. Tim Scott. Tim Scott, yes. And The criticism against uh, this black uh, senator was m- primarily from white uh, white 
protesters, okay? It wasn't the black community that was against this black senator. It was the white community that r rose up against the senator mm -hmm. uh, and calling him Uncle Tim. Uncle Tom. Yeah, well, oh, but his, his name is Tim Scott. Right. But yeah, same but thing. Uncle, yeah, Uncle Tim, with with that in mind, yes, Uncle Tom. Now, th uh, these are white people calling this black senator Uncle Tom. All right, mm -hmm. that's racist itself. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, and so. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's so convoluted. I, I'm curious about the black community in general, what the response would be to whites calling a black guy uncle. Well, exactly sure, right. uh, Uncle Tim, uh, meaning to play off of Uncle yes, Tom, but I'm sure that there's some blacks that would agree with it and some blacks right. are like, what right. are you doing, whitey? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And, and that's true. There, there's some blacks that would agree with it. There's some that would not. Um, and, and it's, I don't even how, know how to, articulate it properly, but if you don't respond as a black the way they want you to respond, that's when the attacks come. Mm -hmm. And so they want you to respond according to how they present information to you. And if you don't respond that way, then they'll either attack you or they'll do as has been customarily now the end thing is can cancel culture. Yeah, yeah. And so they will cancel you. They'll cancel all of your social media. Uh, so you better line up. You better, right. you better line up. They'll mess with your finances. Yep. They'll deal with your businesses. And so, uh, and, and it's still a form of control and just a different form of racism. Scroop think. You could be a successful business owner, but if you don't line up with how we want you to line up, then we will attack your business, shut it down, get the you health see, inspector to come in. This is very revealing because what's going on then is we don't care if you are an ethnic minority. No. I don't care if you're the same ethnic right. uh, color background as me. We're shutting you down because there's an ideology driven. Uh, right. It's not about liberating mm. uh, oppressed people. Uh, as much as it's about driving this ideology that brings division. Right, yes. Okay, so we clearly have both through the media, and I want to again include Black Lives Matter and Antifa. We've got some things that aren't right, okay? But nevertheless, in the church, we're allowing them to lead where we should be leading within the church. We as just the everyday Christians should be responding in faith according to God's word and helping bring true reconciliation and healing to the to this okay and so um so let's move into that and uh, you know it, it's it grieves me that christians in general church leadership whoever that we haven't said more into this in light of what an inflammatory topic this has been over the last year and it grieves me because it almost leaves the impression that that god doesn't have an opinion on this we'll, we'll just let the media and Black Lives Matter run with this thing. Well, if it's truly got other agendas that we've kind of briefly touched on here today, well, we're going to get led down a road. It might look like life, but it's going to lead to death. The church is the one. Christians are the one that have the answer. And just to summarize what I'm trying to say here is that if you study critical race theory, uh, there is no forgiveness in it. There is nothing that sounds like the Bible and Jesus Christ in it. Right. We have something that
that not only sounds like the Bible and sounds like Jesus Christ, we right, have the right. real thing who is Jesus Christ. We're, we're the ones with the flashlight in the dark room. Come right. on, people. <laughs> so anyway, tell, you guys are both former pastors. I might weigh in a little bit here too. But you guys, what is like a word of encouragement, advice, responding in faith that you would tell people to do in the church? Yeah, let, let, me, let me tell you, Dave, um, historically— the white church, to maybe appease their conscience, uh, has invited a black minister to come and, and preach at their church, and maybe they'll switch pulpits for a day, uh, which is good, but it really doesn't address the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so not necessarily a bad step, but we got a lot yeah, further yeah, to yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if, if you think, okay, now I'm good, my, my conscience is clear. No, 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 you've got a long way to go, okay? Long way to go. Okay, um, and I and I would start very small, uh, not as a church, but as an as an individual, as a white man. Uh, I'm not a white man, but I I would suggest that a if you've never even heard a black man and his story, start there. Tell me your story, okay? Uh, b- traditionally, uh, white folk don't really uh, know the black man's story. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, they in fact they in their society in white in what in our society today, the whites uh, will go to work with black people, but when they go home, they're usually going home to a white community. There's no blacks around. Okay, their children don't intermingle as far as uh, uh, with sports or anything at home. Okay. Um, well, I'm an expert on this white topic, <laughs> and let me just say, Eddie, that uh, what happens is is that in general, I'm not saying every white person, but in general, just so consumed with our, we're a goal-driven people yeah. and a money-driven people, yeah. um, just so absorbed in it that that's where all the focus goes. It's like you're not even thinking like yeah. a, a thought yeah. of like, how can I get to know the other these other people's you know, ethnic, diverse people? It's like sometimes you're not even getting to know other white people. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not giving an excuse. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm saying that you're right, and I'm saying that. There's really, you be just become absorbed in your own yes. little world. Anyway, responding in faith is super important. Like, if the church doesn't change that, at least within the church and the white community, and start to think intentionally along the lines right. you're talking about, the, the, we, are, we are not going to be part of the solution. Any, the, key, anyway. the key is to be intentional about it, Dave. You have to be intentional, because we don't think that way naturally. We don't think about other races. We're thinking about making the next dollar, Okay. Let's be honest about it, okay? Or, or and I'm pursuing what, my comfortable life. I'm pursuing yes, my goals, my vacation. You know, exactly. Whatever. Um, and so, as a Christian community, we have to be intentional about it. And the bottom line is justice. Okay, that's the bottom line. All right. So we have to be intentional about. Oh, after hearing a black man's story or a, a Hispanic story, oh, you have the same goals I have. You have the same desires I have. You have the same. Worries that I have, okay? Yes, we're all human beings, okay? Just because we're a different color doesn't mean we don't have the same uh, aspirations, the same problems, the same needs. So that's a great place to start, I think. 
right? And it, but this is but this is part of what I think is going on is that we actually need to say these things out loud on Sunday morning or whenever we're it, at our small group Bible studies. Like this stuff just doesn't just happen. You yeah. have to be intentional. Absolutely. You have to reach out absolutely and start to really consider what's at stake here in our nation. Um, in, in Gary Jeb, yeah, and and I think. Intentionality is where I was going to start off, but I think you also have to, and you, you talked about discernment earlier, I think that we first have to be intentional about what is God's perspective, mm-hmm. what is God's view on not even racism, what is God's view on humanity? We're supposed to love one another. Um, my so for me, racism actually started in the Garden of Eden. Satan actually went after God's initial race, mankind. Mm. So that was the opening door of racism, and it just perpetuated and it just graduated. I've, I've been a part of ministries that were all black, and the pastor intentionally said, we're not having service this Sunday morning. Sunday morning, where you get all of your tithes, you get all your offerings. Uh, that's where you get the bulk of your resources, resources for the week. Mm-hmm. We're going to intentionally go and visit an all-white congregation. Mm-hmm. We go, and, and sometimes it's pre-planned by the pastors, and sometimes it's a shock and awe in your face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> To intent, and it's for two reasons to um, initiate the fellowship, and then two, to let you see how you react when something is unscheduled and you have to deal with it. And so that was not a one time thing. And so you have to be in- intentional about being consistent, about forming relationships, mm-hmm. because when you talked about being in your own world, you're in your own world, but yet what you're watching on TV about this race, in movies, in TV shows, you automatically have a preconceived idea that, okay, they're all like this. And so as Eddie said, you have to get get to know uh, someone of another race. Find out what their story is, but you have to be intentional about it. Uh, uh, the scripture comes to my mind in the book of Acts, can't remember the chapter, uh, where there was the Grecian Jews mm-hmm. that was in conflict mm-hmm. with the Hebrew-speaking mm-hmm. Jews. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the disciples said, we've got a pressing issue that we, want, we don't want to separate from. Choose you out from among you seven men who are who are known or who have a good report full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Let them manage or handle this situation. Mm-hmm. So, so clearly a racial situation. Clearly, clearly a racial where one situation. group was being put lower than another group. Lower than another group. And the church steps in and does what? Leads. It leads. And it leads by setting the parameters as to who should then manage it, handle it, orchestrate the proper mechanisms to 
cause that to cease. In really practical steps. Yeah. I mean, practical steps. You specifically said they're what they're supposed to do. Yeah, they're supposed to be men of good report. And so we have, we have individuals that, so, so you, in talking about the church, saying it on a Sunday is not the same as acting it out. Well, I said my part. We need to, we need to do better with racists. Ooh, I said it on Sunday. That's it. <laughs> but we, we, so you have to, let's put a plan in place. What right. can you put in place mm-hmm. so that you are initiating and that you are being a doer mm-hmm. of the word and not just a hearer or a proclaimer only? And again, back to that passage you just said, they identified the problem. In fact, people were complaining, they were complaining. that these widows are being overlooked, overlooked in the distribution of food. of food. This is a big deal. It's and a big the, and deal. as the solution is brought, that solution is a big deal that caught the uh, attention of the people uh, around, you know, and it helps the gospel go forward. Yes. You know, um, so I, I just think. There's some really amazing passages like that. But we need to go beyond the teaching, though, like you just said, of Sunday right, morning. Right. We actually need to do it to do throughout it. the week. Right. Um, I do want to highlight that there's so many passages in the Bible in general, but now I'm thinking of the New Testament, that they don't begin with, you know, Paul saying, no, I'm talking about racism right, and right, do this. this right. But there's so many passages with, while they don't have that introduction— they apply huge. Let they me just read hugely. one quick verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Peter is saying, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Well, in this day and hour, in where we're living, where this is so inflammatory still, and it will probably for the foreseeable future, I don't see it getting better. I actually personally see it getting worse. That's a little warning to the nation and whoever's listening to this. But we can be the solution. We respond in faith. But to take a passage like that, where Peter's saying everybody should do this too, but highlight what is going on in this community, in right, our community, right. in this church community. What is going on where there's malice, meaning there's ill intent, and now we are talking about racism. How is this applied to ill intent towards another ethnic group? How is it going on where maybe there's been deceit or hypocrisy or envy of another group? And then it says, and slander of every kind. Slander is ruining the good reputation of somebody else. But now we're taking this verse, which applies to everybody all the time, but we're saying, okay, what are the implications here of this verse in a community where there's different races and and, and, and the different ethnic groups are kind of hanging out with each among themselves versus us with each other. Like, what does this mean for us? And then just preach into it, teach onto it, and then make sure that something's in place to live it and not just hear it on Sunday morning. Dave, that's where uh, we really need the input of the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. As a pastor, uh, I don't think that—I didn't think that way, and so I wasn't gearing my messages uh, for— to deal with or to highlight racism in the community or in our, even in our church, okay? Uh, I came at it from a different angle. And so, but, but because racism does exist, uh, Holy Spirit, um, what do you want me to preach about this Sunday, okay? Because uh, in some, some pastors, uh, they have their messages plan out for the whole year, some for a quarter, some for a month, okay? They already know what they're going to speak about, and I'm not against that, okay? But 
I think we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, okay, and be willing to, uh, well, that's not in, that's not next week's message. Okay, well, you know what? Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to deal with something next week. And so lay our, our message to one side and deal with what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to, to, to deal with, to preach about, to proclaim. And we're, Gary's going to get the final word, but before he does, I'm saying, and to say nothing when this is a biblical moral yeah. issue yeah. on the news, in the media, being yeah. pushed with a certain narrative every day, and it's not biblical. And we have critical race theory being taught in government agencies and in universities. And for the church to say nothing, this is negligence. Yes, it's it is. wrong. It's, yes, it is. it's not giving God solution yep. in the moment. And we're the ones with the solution. Okay, Gary, final, final word. And I think we also have to understand that you have you have churches that are congregationally led, which means that the pastor doesn't have mm-hmm. the full authority or the full measure to sometimes even preach what he wants to preach. Mm-hmm. And you have to have those other pastors that are willing to suffer the persecution and the backlash to step up and to not just say, but to then declare and to put into action, this is what we're going to do. So I think there are a lot of pastors who are afraid of the backlash, their members leaving, their members going somewhere else, um, and then those pastors who are held, who hold their position based on the congregation voting them in, voting them out. And so you have to decide which one is greater, my position or my position with God. Hmm. That is a good word. And we need to step up. Our position with God is what matters. Don't don't restrain the man of God with the message of God. We have got to get out there, and we have to do the right thing. This is the church's moment. Don't let it slip away for two reasons. One, God won't be glorified. And number two, America is right now in a huge amount of trouble, and we need to bring the true remedy, what will truly heal hearts, cause enemies to become friends, because that's what Jesus Christ in the gospel does. So... Thank you again, Eddie and Gary. Very, very rich. And thank you for joining us today on Insights. We look forward to being with you again in the next episode.